Welcome to Teachers Talk Texts, the podcast where English teachers share their insights and interpretations of texts currently studied in BCE English. I'm your host, Claire Mackey. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi everyone, it's Claire here. A big welcome to new listeners and a warm welcome back to those who have tuned in before. In this episode, I'm joined by Emma Ford to discuss argument analysis, and I think the conversation will be really valuable for English students who are working towards both their Unit 3 SAC and the end of your exam. I recommend you have the 2016 and 2017 English exams handy while listening to this episode as we speak directly about these texts. If you do find this podcast valuable and you want to support me to continue creating content, I'd love for you to support the show by buying me a coffee. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to www.teacherstalktext.com for a breakdown of the episode and relevant resources. Thanks. Emma, thanks so much for joining me today on Teachers Talk Text, but today we're not going to talk one text. We're going to talk text generally and talk about argument analysis, which I'm really excited about. I haven't, we haven't tried this before. Uh, for those of you listening, Emma and I were uh, messaging and she suggested argument analysis and I was like, what? I've not, I've not done it before, but why not? Why not? Give it a whirl. Yes, give it a whirl. I like that. I like this idea that... We are innovators, are we not, as educators? So thanks for joining joining me. So when I, I'm going to start with the same question I ask uh, everyone else, which is, what do you love about argument analysis? It's the big question. I There are elements of it that obviously I think students find at times to be dry, but I think it can be one of the most exciting areas for them. It teaches them to critique the world around them, really, and that is the one of the most important skills when we're looking at reading our papers, they're reading the paper, they're reading the news online, however they're getting their news and their media at the moment. Generally, there is going to be some element of bias there. What we're presented with, regardless of the paper, is not, is not always the truth, and so it's finding out why that version of truth is different, what elements of it are different, the different layers, and being able to deconstruct that and really critiquing yeah, things in their own world, which is a really fundamental skill. It's also a lot of fun. It teaches them to critique the world around them. Yeah. Allows them to form their own opinions as well. Their opinions get deeper. It's learning how authors create meaning in their text, which in all of these skills, in terms of whether it's something as simplistic as a rhetorical question, inclusive language, or it's attacks or it's the way certain languages are used, all of these are then applicable to their own texts as well. When they're looking for language and literary devices, particularly construction used by authors, whether it's in a play or with stage directions or the language, all of these things that we teach them in the analysis of argument, it's analysis of argument and language, they can then apply that to everything else they're doing as well. Absolutely. So what you're saying is that argument analysis doesn't sit as kind of an adjunct to the course. In fact, in many ways, the skills that we're learning there are really critical to all facets of, of English and also life, which I think is the message that comes through in lots of our, the conversations I have. And I really, 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 really like that. So as students are approaching their argument analysis and they're learning these skills of how authors create meaning, do you have a way that you uh, introduce that in your classrooms in, in to ways in? I suppose that's something I always get from my students, like, where do I start with, with breaking this text down? It, I 
I always like to show them something, even some kind of ad or some kind of piece of text, whether it's multimodal, written, visual, etc. Mm-hmm. just to get them thinking about those different layers that could be there. And once we start thinking about that, especially why, they're, why they find it persuasive, we start thinking about what that author is doing to make that persuasive and considering who they are as an audience as well. So why are they persuaded by that? Would I be persuaded by the same thing? Would someone of a different demographic be persuaded by the same thing? And then we start to look for potentially why that is. I always encourage them to separate by argument as well, yeah. which we used to, we should be doing anyway. In the older study design, we obviously had people separating by language, but now there really is that focus on argument. So I discuss argument as sort of like a tree trunk. It is the absolute base and then the language of the leaves that wrap around that. So it's kind of like the icing on the cake. So looking at what fundamentally is that contention and the argument being presented by that author and why is it convincing? And the why is it convincing is that intention and obviously the the language devices that are coming. What do they want to get out of it? What do they want to happen being their intention? How are they doing this? How is this persuasive? Looking at those language devices on the top to make it pretty. I like that. I've used the analogy, like if you're building a fire, I think it's like your tree trunk. So it's interesting that wood is part of both of them. If you're building a fire, the arguments are like the big logs you put on your fire at the bottom. But an argument on its own is not very hot. The logs with, without flames, it, it, won't, it won't cook you dinner. I don't know. You can kind of go with it. Yeah. So you need like the kindling on top. You need to light, light it on fire. And that's your persuasive devices, your language techniques. And that's what heats it up. So we, we need to look at both of them because, yeah, language doesn't exist in, separately from argument. They're, they're so intricately linked. But I like that, the tree trunk too. I think it's interesting how we use analogies in the class. Yeah, it, it is. There's always some kind of your acronyms and your analogies. There's always so many of them. And sometimes when I'm an assessor and we'll see the students kind of write them on the tops of the corners. And sometimes I think, oh, I wonder what that one is. I haven't seen that before. A bunch of letters. I wonder what they've been taught. But there's all sorts of ways to approach the task. And I think that's why I like it as well, is there's no set rule. These ideas of, oh, they must have this and they must have this. And when it comes down to it, Of course, there are elements that need to be included, but in terms of the structure, what they approach, what they choose to focus on, there's actually no rules regards, like in regards to it. They can play around with it however they want. They can make it their own and it means they can really find their flow when it comes to that as well. And so lots and lots of chances for different types of students to succeed. I like that. So, because I think sometimes students get caught in what structure should I use? And I've had, should I use a block structure? Should I use a synthesized structure? There's all these different kind of ways of doing this task. But what you're effectively saying is you, throughout the year, or even throughout the years, because we start doing argument analysis in one, two, in year 11, and maybe students might have been even doing it in year nine or year 10, early versions of it. By the time they're in year 12, they have the, the way that, they, that, that, that suits them, that fits them, that fits the task and that they feel confident with and they should feel confident that they will be rewarded, even if that's not maybe the structure exactly how you teach it in your class when you're assessing right. them. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I have a structure that I teach, obviously, in terms of the way that I believe that they can approach it. However, there are always cases where students will say, look, last year, I learned it this way, or one of my friends has had a go at doing it this way. And of course, they always read things online about what is the, the best structure, their HR notes, VC discussion space will always give yeah. them some kind of you know indication. And sometimes that can be you know problematic. But a lot of the time, it's yeah, I just say have a go. 
Like yeah. I said, well, you might as well just have a go at doing a practice one. Let's talk about it. Let's see what worked about it. Yeah. And, you know, the more they do it, the more they practice it. It really is a skills-based task. And so once they build up those skills and they, they realize what works for them, then, yeah, they find their flow and they can succeed. I like that. You were talking before about establishing, like identifying the contention, which I think can be can be a little bit tricky sometimes, but the more we do it, the better we get. But you also talked about intention, and sometimes I've seen that referred to as purpose. And yeah. this fact that purpose and contention can actually be different. So depending on how the writer's or speaker's status, role, responsibility, to the stakeholder group that they are writing to, they might be different. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So if we take a past exam as an oh. example, for like if we look at, let's say, 2017, this is a really, I think, good example of contention and intention. I mean, they all have them, but to me, this is a really clear one. I use this with my students quite often. So we've got, obviously, Denise Walker, principal of Spire Primary School. She is very sustainable in what she wants to do. She loves the school. She wants to promote sustainable practices. Her contention really comes down to, I think it becomes really clear in that second paragraph. So increasingly concerned about the amount of superfluous packaging in her everyday life. So her contention is that we have too much rubbish, essentially, or we should use less waste, have less plastic. But her intention is what she actually wants to achieve or her purpose. Like, why is she writing this newsletter? She's not just doing it to tell them that she has a problem with all of the the plastic. She wants something to happen. And in this case, she wants to have less waste. She wants to remove it. And that becomes really clear in the last part of that paragraph where she says, if we do not do something positive about this now, the environmental damage will be irreversible. That's her intention. She's saying, we need to do something about this now. We need to reduce it. The other area that you can find intention a lot of the time is in the background information as well. That that usually gives you a hint. It will give you an idea of what her purpose is in doing this at the same time. Concerned about the amount of packaging waste, her message about this concern and response. So that's given us a bit of idea about the contention, her concern, her message about this concern being what she actually wants to do about it and thus her contention is essentially laid out in the next two pages. So her intention, not her contention there as well, what she wants to happen. So contention is almost, is it more tangible? As Because in this, in this example, her contention is that the parents of the school should include less single-use plastic in lunchboxes, which is quite a like distinct kind of thing. But the intention is much broader, much greater. It's about improving sustainability in the school. It's about challenging global warming and climate change, almost the, the impact that people have had on the community. Her yeah. intention really is what she wants to happen. I, that's what sort of my, that's the way I explain it to students. I say, well, does she want people to just start a conversation? Does she want action to happen? Does she want support? What does she want? Um, and in this case, she wants not only support, but she does actually want them to action it. She wants them to use less single-use plastic she wants the staff to do it as well she talks about that as well parents students staff she talks about all these initiatives that she's going to do and really what she wants is for everyone in the community in the spire primary school community to be on board with her contention which is her concern for the plastic so they really marry up with each other quite nicely and i think it's a really good example of how that intention is very very clear but also the contention And then we compare that to the parent who writes a response who counters the contention 
but has a different intention. Would you agree? Yeah, I think there's some crossover. She does acknowledge that they are all trying to make the world a better place. Like she says, like, we're on board with it. We get it. Her contention is obviously that we are trying. Denise Walker has missed the point a little bit. Her argument is that it's not that easy for Mm. everyone. But her intention, I think, really comes down to having not just a parent support, but she wants Denise Walker to see her point of view too. That's to say that I she's trying. That yeah, exactly. Yeah. He wants that acknowledgement. Yeah, and some acknowledgement. You're right. It is a really. This is actually a really good example exam that has so many aspects. It was a great to, exam. I really yeah. liked it. It's yeah. one of my favourites so far. I, there's a few that I really like. A few that I'm a bit like, oh yeah, they're okay. But this is this is right up there with one of my favourites. No, I agree. I agree. So we've got our purpose and we've got our intention as we're approaching. And we talked about arguments. Do you have a strategy for students to identify arguments? Is it is it just based on paragraphs, would you say, or is there other ways to... You can base it on paragraphs. I get them... I think paragraphs can work, but I think students then stress themselves out when they say there's eight paragraphs, for example. Um, If we have a situation like many of our exams where they're not broken up into really long paragraphs and then they start to worry. So I look for things like tonal shifts as well. I say if the tone is shifting, usually the argument's going to shift. If they go, a really good example here, in that first paragraph, she talks about the new concept. And that to me isn't really an argument it's a justification because and they all tend to start with the same thing a really good tip for those looking at the previous exams and when they're going into their own exam the authors will generally open with some kind of justification about why they're writing what they are or saying what they are their arguments actually start in the second paragraph a lot of the time or a few lines down and in this case we see the i've become increasingly concerned is the start of her first argument the Mm. first one she's just getting her she's getting them on board Mm. she needs her to listen to her argument when she actually starts to present it. Exactly. So she wants them to buy in. So I look for tonal shifts and we see a massive tonal shift here. She says, our vegetable garden is organic. We love our pet hands, etc." But then she goes from that to, I'm increasingly concerned about the amount of superfluous packaging. There's a big tonal shift there. Mm. And even though we're moving from justification to argument, it does give you an idea that there is a change. And that usually is somewhere that students can work with also I mean topic they're talking about the same thing she goes here obviously about students about how she talks about the little soy fish and all that Mm. all that kind of thing my one of my favorite favorite parts I happened to find a little soy fish the day of the exam after this came out I was walking home and there was a little plastic soy fish on the ground and all I felt was that Denise Walker was watching me but she talks about the actual practical elements of it here she's moved from you know, this existential, the world is going to end to, well, this is not just a problem in the world. This is how mm. it's a problem in our community. And mm. she starts pointing out the problems with the community here. She goes sort of that from that zoom out into that zoom into how this is relevant to Spire as opposed to the entire world as yes. well. It's interesting too that you, you mentioned that, that justification at the start. I know I've heard some people talk about when authors seek to persuade, they use those those concepts of ethos, logos, and pathos. So your credibility, your emotion, and your logic. And I think mm-hmm. there's so this ethos or credibility is so underappreciated by students in how Absolutely. much buy-in an author, like an author's audience, has before they've even started reading. Mm-hmm. And the when students have done this exam for me, that they ignore even all this start part, and they jump yeah. in with 
dear parents of the school. And they said, oh, but you, you said we had to analyze the image. So we looked at the garbage bags and I'd say, yes, I know. But that all that stuff in the, in the opening there at the start, that's not there by accident. It, exactly right. It wasn't the examiners and also anyone who's writing has formatted their piece in a really specific way as well. Definitely. If we're wanting students to talk about that, do they do they start would you would you recommend that they start is there a, is there a way to do it is or is it an, it could I feel like it's a bit more of an it depends but you know in the case of the Spire primary school exam for me obviously the fact that it's digital I think is really important it definitely shows that it's like she's definitely on the board with the paper wastage I think there's a really good opportunity to talk about when um, talk about this when introducing that justification because she does talk about all of the initiatives and all the things she's on board with and you can then students can then connect it and say this is also clearly evident with the layout being digital in the first place and with the principal's message she also even though it's down the, it is down the bottom. I try not to encourage them to jump all over the place. You could very quickly mention the fact that she always says she's open for comments and suggestions, which shows yes. that even in the past, when she has done all of these initiatives, she has welcomed that as well. So it says, as usual, your comments are welcome. So I think there's room to talk about that at the end of that piece. But if you were spending time on all of how she, do, how she does everything for a purpose, then mm. that would be a good, quick way to mention that as well. I love and the logo too. Sorry to jump you back up. No, just please. Really yes. The logo I really love. I think the idea of growth as well and the tree, once again, it's nature. We've got that natural imagery. There were a few students that discussed this in the exam, but a lot of it was mainly description. They just noted that there was a tree and therefore the school is about growing rather than actually connecting that to those those barrages of initiatives being presented as well. And I think there's lots of room for students to do that as well. Images often, you there's a tendency to maybe write one or two lines and then say, all right, I've ticked that box, that's done. Yeah. And now I'm going to keep going. But what the task is actually asking them to do, mm-hmm. it says the way the ways, plural, in which argument and written and visual language. So visual language is positioned, I mean, as, as equal to argument and, and the, written, the written word. The other thing that students, and this is not necessarily a mistake because there's no, as I said, there's no set way. I think people fall into the trap when they put an image in its own paragraph. Um, because that leads itself to description. I always encourage them to find an argument that that image relates to. And the garbage bags in this one is such a good example of that. Again, once again, I love this exam, as you can yes. tell, because she talks about, she says, da, 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 it's clogging our bins and eventually our country, the environmental damage will be irreversible. That image corresponds so nicely mm. with that argument idea of the world is ending because if we look at it it's garbage bags as far as the eye can see and it's very gray so this this concern about superfluous packaging her concern and even that we are responsible for the future of our world if i was analyzing this i would be discussing the never-ending plastic bags but also actually probably connecting it with a quote and that idea of responsible for the future and that word irreversible there I would be tying in with that image saying that this image supports Walker's contention Mm. um, of how concerned she is and also her her real concern for this irreversibility of this damage as well and I think that's a really um key thing to be doing with an image what does it link to it's not there once again they haven't just done a google search for the first thing they can find they have found something 
which goes with that argument in particular. So find yeah. how it links. I sometimes think about what image do they not use? So this is, a, this, is, this is a primary school newsletter. What do you usually find in school newsletters? Lots of photos of really happy kids. And, yeah. and she could have included some kids putting the rubbish in the bin or a kid Absolutely. holding their lunchbox with lovely sustainable packaging or something like that. It could have been a positive image. But like you've said, it, it's not. It's a representation of almost her greatest fear yeah, as a, as a, as an, not even as a teacher, but as an individual in this. And, and maybe it's a little bit hyperbolic that maybe she's exaggerating a bit about the, the a world of rubbish, but it makes its point. And that word irreversible. Yes. And she says clogging our bins and our country. I mean, that's hyperbolic in itself. You know, yes. That's a very over-the-top statement. So she needs an over-the-top image to go with that. She does. And it works. It does. It, it, yeah, it's very evocative. Absolutely. And then we think about, because I think now what we need to talk, we've, if, we've, if we've kind of been broaching on what she's doing, how might her audience be, be reacting to this? Because we, I feel you maybe agree this is the hardest part yeah. or maybe the part that's not done um, as well is I think yeah. students can identify the language often. They can make, they can see that that's, that is persuasive but then it's looking at, well, why and how, how is that persuasive depending on the audience and, and why has the writer chosen to use that particular technique? Definitely. I think the, identifying the audience is usually relatively straightforward. It's usually in the background information. You can find it, Aspire Primary School Community. But yep. then going that step further and thinking about, well, who is a part of that community? We have parents, we have staff, etc. And how has she adapted and changed her language to deal with different groups within that? I, with audience, I get students to break it down further so with parents for example we have our we're going to have our very conservative parents we're going to have our progressive parents we're going to have our working full-time parents we're going to have our non-working full-time parents there are so many different elements and when students go oh, I just feel like I've said parents 15 times I encourage them to put an adjective in front of yes. you to describe that group of people because conservative is one for example if she's appealing to conservative values or is she appealing to progressive values in a lot of ways, she is appealing to progression in here, mm. but she then jumps on board a little bit later and obviously tries to bring in those, those conservative parents as well. And when she talks about takeaway and everything and says, well, actually, this is your problem as well. And the staff, she sort of shows maybe there's a, those parents that are a little bit ambivalent and going, well, you can't, you can't put it all on our shoulders. She says, well, don't worry, we're doing, we're doing our bit as well. So identifying those groups and why it would be persuasive for those types of people is really important and then your author bias comes into it as well she's the principal of a school her words are obviously going to have significant effect however that particular group of people that she's speaking to once again she needs to craft her words quite carefully and she does use a lot of like your children and she also she she tends to sort of butter them up a little bit at the beginning a really good example of i think obviously at the beginning she talks about all the great things the students do. And then just under the rubbish bags, that third paragraph, she says, last week I walked around the grounds at recess time, talking as I do with any student who wanted to chat. Many, I am glad to say. So she adds in little things like, your children are so lovely. They speak because she can't necessarily just be like, your children are terrible when it comes to sustainability. They're all awful. She knows, she knows her audience really well. And that's a really good point to discuss that that's not necessarily the opening of her argument because a lot of people say that her, their opening sentence is the opening of the argument. 
She then goes on, I kept seeing your children holding little plastic um, packets with a few biscuits in one side and cheese spread when the children had eaten the packets became waste material. That's her argument there, that this is problematic, that this is in our own community, this is what the children are doing. She says, they're lovely kids, you've taught them well, you've raised them well, let's just go a step further as such. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily, your children are horrible, they're doing all of the wrong things, because that's not going to work on an audience of parents. No. Not at all, not especially yeah, and especially parents who are working incredibly hard and getting their kids to school every day with their right. lunches and yeah, because yeah. you're right. What she's really doing is she's pointing the finger at the parents and saying do better, yeah. which is but she but she does it in a very considered and well planned and executed manner. Definitely, because she couldn't just jump straight in and be, and, and say. No, and she shows that she cares about them with safety as well. Like right, that last little bit where she talks about the little tomato sauce containers, lethal if flipped in your eye. It's like I also care about the safety of your children. There's, you know, there's so many layers here. She is saying yes. like you're terrible. Like the little packets, like you shouldn't have given these packets to your kids. Why couldn't have you done it? Like why couldn't you've done it this way? But as you said, she shows your kids are lovely and I care about them at the same time. So she really, at both ends of that paragraph, she yeah. really covers it to say, just in case she has put them off that little bit, she brings them back in by being, oh, and by the way, I also care about your kids. It's, it's quite clever in the way that she does it does. or the way that the exam setting panel wrote it. Well, yeah, exactly. It's also to that why not a washable plastic bottle or why not use a common flask from which the sauce could be pumped at the counter? Those mm. have been rhetorical questions that make the audience go, well, well, there's no reason why not. Or, or the reason why not is I couldn't be bothered, which is not a reason anyone would want to say out yeah. loud. And so therefore I will, if, if that is my reaction, I'll just be quiet. Yeah, exactly right. Absolutely. And it's once again, it's getting those parents, especially that progressive group, group of parents, if you go, oh, I've been thinking the same thing, no problem at all. Whereas the conservative ones at this point, they are likely to keep quiet because, yeah, they, they don't want to be seen as the ones who, who can't be bothered and they, the rubbish is an issue to them because they are in the minority because she's just pointed out for a whole paragraph at the beginning how progressive Spire Primary School are. So there's almost no place for those conservatives here at Spire. And she, yeah, she, she, rebuts them almost from the outset because in sending your child to Spire Primary School, you have bought into yeah, absolutely. the values of the school. Yeah. Exactly yes. right. Exactly right. Yes. There's so many things and there's so many layers. So, so we've got all of these things. We've got, we've got her contention. We've got all of her arguments. We're talking about the imagery she's using. We're talking about her status. We're talking about all the different audience kind of, stakeholder subgroups there are the language that she's using the techniques that she's using how and why that language is persuasive we're juggling so many things in an effective argument analysis yep i always want to say language analysis because that's what it, that's what it was <laughs> og but it is now argument analysis i have to catch i myself. think i still i still sometimes call it language analysis oh, and i have to i have to catch myself with the focus being on on argument yeah absolutely when students are writing do you do you encourage any particular way of including all of these many things like kind of I feel like we're juggling so many balls and we need to have them all in the paragraph is there a, a way to do that or is it just down to practice it is down to practice heavily I know students get super sick of the idea of it being a marathon not a sprint but English mm. is probably 
one of the main subjects in which that is super relevant. This is a skills-based task and it is also a decider for a lot of a lot of the exam because everyone goes in with the blank slate. Nobody knows what's coming. So it doesn't matter how much practice you've done on the text, like quotes, memorising, you can't do that for argument analysis. The memorising of quotes doesn't, doesn't really work as such because you don't know what you're getting. For me, I tell them in a way less is more. I think we've fallen into the habit of providing everything there is so much in there and that doesn't mean they have to cover everything. They've been given so much in there because the exam setting panel wants everybody to have a chance to succeed. They want to give things that students can pick out really easily like those rhetorical questions, but also those top kids can take them that little bit further and talk about that specific impact on that specific audience as such. So I say to them, once you find your argument and in this case, I guess even that first little bit there with the image, pick three or four, even three, pick and the three pieces of language in there or the three things that she does, which you believe are the most relevant and are going to support her argument the best. And then do a deep dive on them as such, as opposed to pointing out 10 things that she does. They're not going to go through and go, oh, well, they missed that rhetorical question. There goes Mark. That's not how it works. They look to reward. And the more detail you can give in regards to what that piece of language is doing, rather than what that language is, is Mm. going to going to make you do like you're going to get so much better in regards to that people tend to miss things and you'll see them chuck on at the end things like oh she also does an attack here she like they'll throw in a few labels oh she also uses inclusive language here but a lot of the time it's not really relevant you don't need it if if you've analyzed all of this other stuff you know, we talk about things like that word clogging or you're clogging the, the bins and eventually the country. If you've gone into detail about that, connecting that with the image, that's fine. It doesn't matter if you miss a line here or two. So I have the less is more approach. I always tell them to start their paragraph with the argument as well. So always frame your paragraph with what that argument is and then look at what language is being used to support that argument. Don't ever start, in my mind, a paragraph with a discussion of language. And we do see things like she'll open her so-and-so opens this paragraph with three rhetorical questions which gets the audience to think about the issue firstly it's a label gets them to think it's part of what i call cookie cutter phrases another one of my pet hates if they say inclusive language makes the reader feel included despite the fact that that is a definition almost in itself if you can pick up that phrase and put it into any of your other argument analyses it's not specific enough. It needs to be specific to that author, that intention, that contention, that group. So yes. super, super specific. And that takes time. And once you cut out all the summary, what a lot of things she's got, oh, it's so short. I haven't written that much. But you just cut out half of the summary and you go, well, look how much more room you have for analysis. So do a yes. deep dive on those three or four things in that and then pull it back and look at the social context in which this piece is situated cut out all the rubbish about this is a this is a definition an attack it makes the reader feel like this makes is another problematic word yes. in itself but this idea of giving a definition or a summary and then an analysis i don't need to be told what's happening as such even words like she states she says their description they're not analysis i don't need to know that she has said she's concerned. I want to know why that's important and how she phrases that to make it important and effective. I like that you're picking up on verbs. I'm a big fan of verbs. I think they're really underappreciated. And you're right, the verb says and makes and kind of almost shows, but that also yeah. also is in uh, text response and comparative, but in yeah. argument analysis. Mm. I just think they don't, they don't give us 
anything. And for students to be able to effectively analyze, we need the right verbs to achieve that analysis. So I talk about highlights in there too. Sorry. So I saw, I went, there was a teacher talked one day about the verb showcases and she always thought that it imagined Um, like the the writer standing at the top of the page and kind of getting her hands out and doing a show. So they're just, they're not actually as effective. I feel that way about elucidates. Elucidates is my all time most favorite, like all my hated, my most hated verb. Because if you look up the definition, because they, what they do is they do right click synonym for shows or demonstrates and elucidates comes up. Oh, that sounds awesome. Let's chuck that in there. But when you look up what it actually means, it's this idea of bringing something to light that wasn't that there before. So I don't think she's doing that by talking about rubbish. No. The school, like the school is aware that she's into sustainability and there's rubbish. So she's not really elucidating anything. Anything. So it's not the right word here. Um, And I think verbs are amazing, as you said, and learning a good list of verbs is good, but also knowing how to use them in particular, not just going, I've got a hundred verbs and I'm going to throw them all in. And that, I think that's a real becoming a bit of an issue as well. That's a really good point. I like, what do you think about, I'm a big fan of positive and negative verbs or I feel like shows highlights they're all they're neutral they're nothing I quite like supports or endorses Mm. and then condemns or criticizes as a delineation so if if you're talking for example in in the case of Denise well I've got no surname Walker that's right We've just been talking about it for the last half an hour, but I forgot her surname. She endorses her parent community, I think, for the commitment that they've had to what it is that they have been at their sustainable practices in the past, but she also criticizes unsustainable packaging within. So, and I mean, there's many others that you can use, but as a, as a breakdown, it moves us away from she says and she shows yeah. and into yep. an actual analysis, but 100%. Yep, yeah. Agree wholeheartedly yeah. there. So verbs are good, but too many can be problematic. You're better off yeah. having a shorter list that you, what they, what they mean mm-hmm. and that you use them correctly in context. Yes, absolutely. Then having hundreds, but just kind of using them interchangeably willy nilly whenever you like. Yep. I like yep, 100%. I've got a big question for you. Conclusion, okay. conclusion or not to conclusion. Ooh. This is <laughs> the question because I get asked this all the time. Yep. And I teach literature as well. So in a literature close analysis, in an analysis, no, you don't need a conclusion. Mm-hmm. And this is an analysis of a piece of writing in the same way. So I feel, I feel like the answer is no. But sometimes I read argument analyses that don't have a conclusion and I feel a sense of, oh, I really needed yeah. something there. Yeah. I think they can be great if they do exactly that. They finalise what you're saying. If it's a single analysis, I almost, and the 2020 is probably a good example of that one, that never, it's just not needed. If you're going to throw something in, I always tell my students to conclude with what the author's conclusion is. So take their last few sentences or the last paragraph, talk about how they conclude and bang, there's your conclusion. That helps. You, you don't need a separate thing because what happens is, and you've probably seen this as well, we get these conclusions, which is overall, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said this, they used lots of persuasive devices. There were multiple tones used. And as much as I just, you know, it, it pains me, but it's also a waste of time because yeah. you've just wasted 10 minutes giving me a summary of what happened. And that's not a conclusion. That's a summary. Yeah. The only time I think it's acceptable 
to have like a separate conclusion is when you do have two pieces and you're perhaps in the stack where you have to explicitly compare and you choose to compare their intentions. I encourage the students to re-compare their contentions and their intentions, but looking at them as an overall piece, similar okay. to the introduction, but more in a, what are the readers then left with? Is that different as such? How do they walk away? Okay. So that's how okay. I encourage it. But if it's a single piece, I will cross it out and I will tell them to get rid of it. It's just, the one thing, and I know there's no set structure, but we do year, year in, year out, have the same comment on the assessor's report, which is you know, obviously accessible for all students, that mm -hmm. it isn't necessary to provide this extra little conclusion at the end, which gives a summary of what happens. And they're better off using their time on analysis, giving more than just a little conclusion. So if, if the conclusion adds value analytically, yes. But if it's just a cookie cutter, like you, I like that you said that before, cookie cutter summary that could be for any argument analysis prompt, use the time somewhere else. Yeah, yep. go through and change a few elucidates to something else. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> get rid of showcases. Get rid of showcases. Okay, I like that. I like that. So I feel like we've covered all the components of an argument analysis from from top to toe. Do we want to have a look at another exam? Would you like to talk through, is there another one you really like? Sure, let's have a look at, I mean, I love the 2016, the watermelon, that might be a good. Three text. It is a three text mm. and that's actually, a, yeah, a good example of a three text because the cartoon is separate. Yes. I really like this one. I use this as a really good example of um, practice for their SAC when they have to explicitly compare, when they have the two to three texts. Yes. And the reason I like it is because when students ask what to compare, what we tend to find is it's like, oh, this person argues this and this person argues this. They have different contentions. Whereas this one, what we find is there's specific language used by both of the authors and they're mm. used in very different ways. So yeah. the word selfie is one of the good examples because the mayor is like, how great will this be? People will come and take selfies. And then Ian Warwick comes in and goes, we don't want people taking selfies. And the connotations behind the word selfie completely change when looking at who's saying it. And that's a really great example of something to compare. The comparative, they don't have to do it on the exam. I will preface that. They can, but they don't have to. The assessor's report does say that a lot. But we do see, like, he's even got the selfie there, like too many selfie opportunities. Surely visitors who like this sort of thing are not the type we want. So he's mm. completely not only condemned her, but he's used her own words against her as well. And that's a really great point of comparison, I think. I like that. Does he do it too with, he's got attractions. in Also in the single quotation mark, which can be part of analysis too, can't it? We can actually Absolutely. look at the yeah. punctuation. Yeah, it's almost sarcasm there, sort of saying, like, he makes it very clear that he is not saying this in a straightforward, non-sarcastic manner. He's not genuine about selfies. He really doesn't want them. No. I do find that there's some irony that he is, what is he, the president of the Lawton Progress Association, yeah. and yet he's very critical of progress. He doesn't oh, absolutely. want progress. Yeah, we don't want the kind of people who will yeah. have selfies. We no. want old, old school, yeah. He's, he's definitely, yeah. I, I, I sort of see his point in a lot of ways. I think that Alexandra Wiley is super over the top about a giant structure, but I, I agree. I think there is that irony there. And he is um, like, yeah, he shuts her down 
very, very heavily. Yeah, there's no room for um, negotiation from him at all. No, no. So we've got Alexandra Wiley's a mayor of a town. So this is another kind of situation. It's interesting that we had Denise Walker, who's the principal of a school, and we have Councillor Wiley, who is the mayor of a town. Similar Mm -hmm. kind of this idea of a power structure, she is also, what I think is interesting is that she would have been elected too. And yes. thinking about that social context for students, for yeah. whatever reason, her ideas and her values would have been shared by the town mm-hmm. and they've elected her in the same Definitely. way that perhaps parents would have chosen to send their students to Spire Primary School. And yep. because of whatever it was that the principal was promoting. Uh, and this is something that students... Um, can weave in, would you say? Oh, absolutely. I think the fact that they should already support her means they're more likely to throw their support behind her. They should have already known her values. And just in case they're unaware of it or they've sort of maybe forgotten it or she's done something wrong, she does the exact same thing that Denise Walker does in that first paragraph and justifies her stance again. She says, oh, how great it is that the highway's gone because she's probably had something to do with that, the highway bypass. And it's like, it's so peaceful. It's so lovely. However, we want tourists. So this is why my proposal is something you should listen to. She does that same justification and she doesn't actually start arguing until, I mean, probably the last sentence, her argument, we want tourists and to be blunt, we need their money. That's probably Mm. her contention in a nutshell, really, that they need to make some money. But her first argument really starts with that council has been considering for some time. So it's the people you elected, like the people I'm a part of, you elected this this is what we've been considering. And the fact that they've been considering it for a long time also means it's not rushed as well. So the town is small, it's peaceful, they don't rush, they do things. They don't want a mayor who's going to be making decisions like this. They want someone yeah. who's going to think about it. And she proves herself as someone like that by saying it's very well thought out. Thinking about her, if her contention is that they need money, which I don't think anyone can disagree with that, her intention though i think it's to get people on board with her idea to throw their support behind her she says i think it might even be like right down the bottom she talks about how they deserve the prosperity yeah please support this exciting idea for making the law in a truly great town that's the intention in a nutshell i think the contention is we need to do something and the intention is please support my idea as such and that that to me i think is really a good example of how you can find the difference between those two and they're straight there written for you give them a highlight done easy yeah so look at the broad her broad the the broad intent of the writer as well as the specific thing that they're arguing for she uses a lot of well i've seen it described as when you mentioned inclusive language that includes the reader i have my pet hate is emotive language that adds emotion to the argument like yes it does and that (laughs) informs tone Informative tone and emotional tone of band in my classroom. They know well, that. Informative is a style. It's a style. Yeah, it's a is it not? Yeah, it's not a tone. Every year I get informative tone. Like you cannot inform and persuade in an informative tone. It's not a thing. Cannot. You cannot. But she uses a number of different, very evocative adjectives throughout yes. in order to, I think, I guess, encourage her reader to view her proposal in a, in a positive mm-hmm. light. And I've seen, I've read some actually some interesting analysis of just single, single words that she uses. Yep. Words like luscious, ironically, prosperity, prosperity yep. absolutely. And there was something else that popped out at me before as I was that I've seen good analysis on oh that Even idea the sorry, Christian town. Town. Fruit and vegetables. oh yeah ghost town yeah absolutely yep the like the, 
the death yeah the death so that she doesn't say it but you can take ghost town and then and run with that and say well the, the inference is there she's implying that that the town will die yeah, which is the absolutely. the stark opposite to all this fresh produce and this life that mm. that is on on offer absolutely yeah. something about the word succulent is what what does it for me whenever i think of subtle crisp crisp succulent yes. fresh like they have these connotations of like biting down into like something really crisp like an apple and she does that creates that imagery here on the emblem and even imagine a spectacular piece of modern architecture it's not just a building it's a spectacular building and students can really talk about that hyperbolic language which is just scattered all the way through this and it this is. is you know back to right what we were talking about at the start about the purpose of argument analysis they will start to then notice this in press releases by our own government as such as well we yeah. looked at last year a really good example when we were considering our issue when we had to do the the persuasive element which changed ever so slightly due to covid yes they, we looked at the humanities price rises in universities and we looked yes. at yeah, we looked at the press release from the education minister and actually analysed the way that he had proposed it. And he used a lot of this language, this really hyperbolic, spectacular, fabulous, this language. And the girls, my girls just saw straight through it because they had been doing this. And some of them obviously had differing opinions on it. But I said, regardless of your opinion, because as I say to them with love, argument analysis doesn't care about your opinion. We want to know no. about their opinion. Yeah. They were able to break that down and say, well, wow, he's actually really appealing to this group of people here. This is really hyperbolic. This is an attack. And they were able to apply those skills directly to their own lives. That's so fantastic. That's exactly, that to me is just, I mean, as an English teacher, that's what you want. That's what we want for our students, I think. We want our students to be able to go and to read press releases and, and newspaper articles and, and listen to speeches with just that air of just, just a little bit of cynicism. Just not too much, going too much, too much is bad, but just a little bit to understand that language is purposeful and has intent and mm. no politician is standing up and saying something that, ha that, that is not thought through. Well, actually, some of them don't think it through and they're the problematic ones. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the official, <laughs> the official All of those words have meaning. Yes. Because they want so something many. and they want whether they want our votes, whether they want our support, whether they just want a conversation to start, they want something. Ultimately, they are attempting to persuade us with everything that they say, just as Alexander Wiley is doing here. And just as Ian Warwick, and even more pertinent with the cartoon, we have that in our lives. We will have cartoonists poke fun at things that politicians say. And that is exactly what is happening in this argument analysis. Another reason I love it so much, the cartoon cracks me up. Like, oh, should we have a little? Uh, what I like the most about this cartoon is that in the examiner's report, when you read it, that it acknowledged. I think that originally, when this cartoon was put in, there was an idea about what the, mm -hmm. the I guess, the correct analysis was, and I use that very like, mm -hmm. loosely. And then students went in, and there was a multitude of kind of nuances yeah. to that analysis. And the examiner's report says something along the lines of, "We rewarded." Any mm. student that presented supported and well articulated absolutely yeah. I thought, yes that's that mm. is English 
I remember this so well for that exact reason because I like I cracked up when I saw this cartoon and it was so clearly sarcasm to me. I just looked at it and I thought, how absurd is that giant watermelon? You've got the the population, I think it says like 3,001, and it was a population of 3,000 in the background information. So it hasn't actually done anything for them. They've had one person. You've got the kids in the thing. It, it's supposed to be ridiculous. And I always, once again, say to them, what does this support? This supports Ian Warwick to me super clearly. How yeah. absurd. But you're exactly right. A lot of students came in and said it actually romanticized what Wiley was saying and it actually gave an image of how that is supposed to look. Mm. And I had students come out of that exam and we always discuss afterwards and they say, oh, I wrote this and, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't see it that way. And they were really panicked. They went, oh, my God, Mm. I didn't write the right thing. But, yeah, exactly right. VCAR said the chief assessor at the time, who was at the time Bob Hillman, said well actually no we are we are rewarding them we're going we're going to do that because they have interpreted it and most importantly they have supported that analysis they haven't just said there's a watermelon there's some kids this means this they've said this romanticizes wiley's view it supports wiley's view Mm. or they've said supports warwick's view and that's what gets them the marks not just pointing out that there's a watermelon um and that's one of my favorites for that exact reason again because there are lots of interpretations and i always discuss this with my students and we get uh, multitudes someone pointed out the church last time and how small it is compared to the watermelon and the church is conservative it's this idea of conservative being pushed back we need to go into the new and that was something that i sort of went oh yeah but i hadn't thought about it in that level of detail that this student discussed and now i look at it and that's all i can see there's Mm. all these and obviously the the fresh watermelons growing but there's so many there people don't seem to be buying them there's a couple of cars around it but there's a few there's not many cars on the road so is it really working there's so much that you can play with here so much and i yeah i completely agree the the church but then Students will then counter and say, but look at the sun. It's in the middle of the sky. It's almost a cloudless sky. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful future. And as long as I think they pick out the specific elements and describe what they are and then then connect them to analysis, they'll be rewarded, which... Absolutely. And even with the um, the 3001, you can make it only added one person but people can also argue that nobody's left the town as well that people haven't left they've stayed they've retained their population yes. and so therefore this is a good thing so really most of it you can just go either way you know and that i love the fact that they reward for that and i think that's really important for students to understand when i'm marking pieces they go will i lose a mark for this and it's not about losing marks we do not take marks off we don't start at 10 and come back down to zero mm. reality is we sort of start at zero and look where we can add Mm. Uh, we don't work to a deficit model. So the more you give us, obviously, the more we have to reward, but that also then doesn't translate to length as well. So the more meat you can give us, the better that you're going to do. We don't look to take marks off. No, no. So I wonder, does that kind of, and this happens every time I talk, does that bring us around to, we've kind of touched on it a little bit today, but this this purpose of argument analysis, because we've talked so much today about, I mean, about the specific elements um, about the approach of the assessor to and what and, and also the English teacher and why why is it it's it's a third of the exam it's a third I mean using language to persuade or argument analysis is almost I think a third of the SAC scores I'm doing the maths very quickly in my head but you've got 40 it's 40 percent of unit three for the the argument analysis cat and then we have 40 percent of unit four being the oral so, so yeah it's, it's 40 and both of them. Yeah, so it's it's a significant portion of of the school assessed coursework 
classwork and then 30% of the exam. Why is it so important? What's the point? Why are we making kids do it? (laughs) Yeah, look, and that's the ultimate question. My students will ask me that when they're not enjoying it all the time, all the ones that feel that they struggle with it. The ones that they say, I don't have a good vocab. I'm not, I'm not an English student. Once again, I look, one, it is skills-based and I think it's a good leveler in Mm. that exam because, as I said earlier, nobody knows what's coming. We we don't know what's coming either. We always make guesses. We make bets on what's coming. I actually got the Spire Primary School one relatively right. I was like, it's going to be a newsletter from a principal. But then last year I said maybe a speech. We got a speech, but I had no idea what it was going to be on. We always have bets and guesses and they seem to ask us because they think we have a crystal ball. But for them, good leveler. Yeah, we don't. Exactly. Good leveler. But also, as I said, they take those skills with them. If you can analyze and critique something and, you know, tear it to pieces, not only will it help you with your other texts because Mm. you're breaking down that construction and the other texts that I teach, for example, I teach Ring Window, which is another conversation in itself, but we look at Hitchcock's bias and the male gaze, and that is bias in itself in the same way that an author will use bias in their argument analysis. Mm. Miller in the crystal bias towards women once again. So all of these things are relevant to their other texts, but as we've emphasized, most importantly, it's relevant to them in the next years and years and years of their lives when we're looking at propaganda, when we think about the way we look at the Nazi propaganda in World War II. Argument analysis written there, we think of the Cold War, all of this propaganda. We think of propaganda that occurs every single day consistently. We think about elections with our governments, the language that they use to get us on side. All of this is relevant, and I think students find that as they leave over those next years, that is the stuff that they retain as well, Mm. that they critique. And they might find it interesting, but sick of writing them, the formulas are saying they get over it over the course of the year. But it tends to be time and time again, the one that they they come back and say, I've actually really used this in, you know, my entire life. And that's really, that's great. I love, that's what I love about it. I really like that. I think, yeah, we want to be equipping our students in this modern world to, to have the tools that they need to navigate it because it's tricky yeah. and it's getting, exactly. it's getting trickier, I think. Yeah. Um, and not take things at face value. What people are telling you isn't necessarily the truth or yes. it's their version of truth and everyone's own version of truth. And we need to learn to critique that. As you said before, don't have to be super cynical. Don't have to do that. But just a healthy amount to question perhaps those biases that are sitting behind that. I've just really enjoyed this conversation. I didn't know, I just, I didn't know if we could do this with argument analysis, but we, I mean, we did because ultimately we're still talking about text. It's just uh, a different, a different form of text. Absolutely. Um, sure. I'm really, I'm just really grateful for your time today. I'm really grateful for you, your willingness to try this new, something new with me and yeah, just your generosity and your perspective. Cause it, I've, I've learned things today. I'm sure, I'm sure. Everyone listening will feel the same way, but I feel like I've really learned something today. So thank you. You're most welcome. Hopefully the students get something out of it. It's something that they can work with, even if it's, as you said, something little, just something that they've learned. That's what we're here for. And ultimately our job, we want them to succeed. We do. We do. Emma, thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did get something out of listening today, I'd love for you to jump on and buy a virtual coffee to support the show. Your contribution can go a long way to supporting me to continue creating content to support students and teachers in the study of English. The link is in the show notes. If you haven't already, jump on and follow us on Instagram too to join in the conversation and let me know what you'd like to hear next. 
And subscribe to this podcast on whatever service you're streaming from to keep up with the latest episodes. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye.